the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at youtube.com slash cover three and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like and come and join us in the chat. For the first time in the history of the Cover 3 podcast, we were a little long-winded last episode. Something we have never, ever done before. (laughs) And sure enough, our game plan for tackling what is a very interesting topic and series of debates, which is to go back and look at coaches after finishing year one and say whether we feel better, worse, or the same about the higher, again, this is the 2021-2022 coaching cycle. In that last episode, we got through the ACC and we got through the Big 12 and that's it. Okay, we still got a lot left to do. Uh, that includes the SEC, where we have Billy Napier and Brian Kelly. That includes the Pac-12, where we have three coaches that got double-digit wins in their first year on the job. And look, we always want to spotlight the group of five when we have an opportunity. We got more than a handful of coaches we want to be able to uh, point to when it comes to things being better, worse, or the same. But first, because we are a podcast that uh, dabbles with, uh, with sports gambling in a major way, especially on our locks show every single Thursday. I thought that this would be an interesting forum, if only briefly, to just sort of get a sense, maybe big picture, more than micro, unless you've got uh, more details on the topic, in the, the, current, um, the current headlines that include that Iowa and Iowa State have, have athletes that are being investigated for online gambling. This would be in violation of NCAA rules for them to do this. And football players are among a list of athletes that are have been uh, identified by Iowa and Iowa State. So I guess for, uh, for, for Tom first, when you see the story, what is your what is your first reaction to the discussion? Like if we're sitting around and someone's like, hey, did you see that blah, blah, blah? Iowa and Iowa State, they got football players. Like they might be held out of competition. They're being investigated for sports gambling. What does that, what's your big takeaway or what's your thought on that? Are they throwing games? If not, I don't care. I, it's, it's, I don't care if they're a legal game anywhere else. As long as they're not throwing games, let them bet on sports if they want to, even if they're betting on their own games. Like Just because I bet on my team to win doesn't mean I can control whether or not we win. Now, again, if you're betting against your team and you're purposely throwing the game, that's different. If there's evidence of that, I think it's a big deal. But I also think it's, that's part of the reason why, like in Illinois, 
I can't bet on an Illini game or a Northwestern game or a Northern Illinois game or any team that resides in the state. You can't bet on a college team from your own state in this state by the legal rules. So if Iowa has, if Iowa wants to maybe put the, I don't know, maybe Iowa already has it. But so if Iowa does already have these rules and they're not betting on their own games, then who the hell cares? Yeah, I, I, I actually have a lot of thoughts on this, but we have a lot, a lot of, I guess, more fun stuff to get to. My thought generally here is if this is betting on like college baseball and stuff like we saw with, with the Bama thing, it, it's a great opportunity for schools to use as a scare tactic to get these guys. Uh, because like, I'm not saying the integrity of college baseball games is not a, a noble or, or worthy uh, thing to, to care about, but realistically, like the two money making sports are college football and then somewhat college basketball, and that those are sports where we have seen you know point shaving type stuff before. So assuming that's not going on, you'd be like, look, don't bet on it. These guys are gonna get gonna get a little suspension or something or a little, little hand slap for you know betting on college games, whatever. I do think the idea of this being a scandal is way overblown. Like, well, nobody's getting funny. rich betting college baseball like, I, I, at all. Do you think that like the if football players are included, you think that they are probably just making wagers on who knows the NBA playoffs or like something mm-hmm. else? But because they are making these wagers, then they are violating the rules, and that's why. Because like to me, the biggest takeaway is this is why I support legalized sports gambling because of oversight. Because yeah. Yeah. like if you want to introduce the opportunity to nip things in the bud and identify when market movements are a little bit weird. They are so, so good at this. Like the idea of a large scale point scaling scandal in college sports is less likely if it's all legalized, regulated and above board because there's too much money to be lost. So I look at this and say, okay, these, these might've been, um, mistakes by some athletes for violating the rules. But as a college sports fan, I don't look, I try to tell a college sports fan, don't look at this headline and say, oh my gosh, this is going to bring college sports down. Actually, I think it's the opposite because when you have these companies whose entire job it is to try and be an oversight to make sure that there isn't anything nefarious, that to me actually improves the integrity of the product. And the last thing that any stakeholder can have is for the integrity of the product to be questioned. Like that is, that is your money making. So I, I look at this story and I'm like, okay, well, yeah, there probably will be other stories like this in the future, but I don't think it's a bad thing. I actually think it shows that the system is working. I will say, like, I am a little hesitant to give them credit for being so good at catching guys. I suspect some of these guys are so bad at hiding what they do. For instance, like, if you were part of a recent baseball betting thing that made the news and you're trying to jam... 50k or 100k or 80k 80k across the counter on a game where the max bet is 500 or 1000 the guy at counter should be like mm, let me call my supervisor real quick to see if we can take 80x the limit on this game right do we think that's oh oh no okay uh, let me make another call here fbi right like just people just just general just general dumb uh behavior or like like look what caught the lions guys they're just dumb they didn't think it like, in the facility, law, yeah. Yeah, like do you not think that the Iowa Gaming Board has the IP IP address of, of Iowa's athletic facility or Iowa State's athletic facility? I mean, to me, that's far more likely what's going on here is these guys were using their apps in the facility, and that's how like otherwise placing five dollar same game parlays on an NBA playoff game. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Right. Yeah. Uh, so in that sense, it, it, that goes back to your original point, but it's the scare tactic. Now we've got the, what's the term? The poster child? Like we got, hey, don't don't be like these guys and end up getting yourself suspended being dumb. You, I bet you there are still fixed college basketball games every year. Oh, yeah, for sure. That, like that, that are like professional organizations, you know, like like a lot of these books Lower. will take a pretty, yeah, like, like mm-hmm. you know, pretty big bet you can get in in these like non-Power 5 leagues. They still take pretty good action where the kids aren't getting any NIL money. You do it with a professional organization that is not trying to jam 80K at one spot. They have access to thousands of accounts, spread it around low limits. You know, I, I bet you, yeah, I, I bet my house that, that there's at least a couple of fixed basketball games a year. So, That's how I got this new one. <laughs> um, not college baseball. I don't think anybody wait, in a professional organization is, is screwing around trying to fix college baseball games. So, and that would be different than information because, yes. that, like, 
bowl season, for example, is all about information and access to information. Do you think that that is like a, a nefarious or potentially troublesome sort of window or corner of this? I mean, somewhat, but it's the sport's own fault and that they don't put out injury reports. Mm. Like professional organizations have sources within a program. Maybe they get to a player. Maybe they pay a player to let them know whether or not a quarterback is going to be playing. So then the professional organization is able to make a big bet. But that is different than a straight up throwing a game situation. Totally. Yeah. Okay. What? What? Yeah. Because everybody at game time is going to realize some guys out. It's just who, who gets the info first. I got. They're getting got, the best of the number. It's not fixed. I got specific information about an NBA game over the weekend that I used to my advantage. It happens. Mm-hmm. Very um, interesting. You know, felt, felt like it was worth a mention here at the top of the show. Uh, portal action. The the portal is closed if you want to jump into it. But, of course, there are some players who are uncommitted. Uh, Logan Diggs, uh, the running back from Notre Dame, is among those who's getting a lot of interest. So is former Louisiana safety Trey Amos. He visited Alabama recently, and he has committed to Alabama Um Bud, what are we seeing in Amos? What kind of player are the Crimson Tide getting? Do you see him being somebody who jumps into that defensive backfield and plays a key role this fall? Yeah, I think he's a guy who could play a lot for Alabama. They're, they're still in on, on the key kid as well from UAB. Bama wanted to beef up that, that secondary. Uh, was one of the best players in the Sun Belt. I think he's got some position versatility. The guy that Billy Napier signed and, and developed there uh, at Louisiana. Uh, LSU wanted him, and so did Florida. So a nice win for Nick Saban and the Tide uh, recently there in the transfer portal. That's kind of your big transfer portal news of the day. Is that a if, – if Trey Amos is in the transfer portal in December, is he still getting the same kind of action? Or is that just a, another example of, you know, what the, the scarcity or, or what's going on, who's available, and uh, and the teams that are able to secure it are going to be able to land it? Yeah, I, I think you may get a little more, little more shine if, if you wait uh, to jump in. But I still think like Bama's not all of a sudden taking a guy that should be playing at, you know, at Tulane or something like that, right? Like, oh, like, he's, he's, he's clear. He's, he's a high level guy. I just think he got a little more publicity because of the fact that it is a spring window. Yeah, Nick Nick Saban ain't using a scholarship on somebody who can't play. Right. We well, there were a couple offensive linemen, <laughs> but that's another topic. <laughs> oh, Chip. What? That was mean. Oh, Chip. Oh, Chip. Coming up on the other side, we continue our discussion reviewing the 2021 and 2022 coaching cycle. So after one season on the new job, how are we feeling? Better, worse, or the same about the hires of Lincoln Riley, Kalen DeBoer, Dan Lanning, Billy Napier, Brian Kelly, and more next Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast and the UEFA Champions League on Paramount Plus is down to the final four teams. And oh boy, the semifinals are already epic. Real Madrid, Man City, a 1-1 draw yesterday. And today we've got AC Milan and Inter. It's a rivalry matchup, and you can stream every Champions League semifinal match live exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. 
Try it for free at ParamountPlus.com slash live sports. It's a clash of titans as Inter squares off against AC Milan in a battle for city bragging rights. Find out which clubs will reach the ultimate goal in soccer's greatest yearly competition. Again, stream every Champions League semifinal match live exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Try it free at ParamountPlus.com slash live sports. Official uh, Derby della Madonna prediction? Madonina. Madonina. No, no Nina. No, Anya. Just Nina. Madonina. Come on. You've been to Italy. You should know this. Uh, Inter. Inter will win. They will win today and they will win the the whole. Put me. AC Milan doesn't have Rafael Yao, so it's going to hurt him pretty big. Put me down for a 1 1 draw seen this movie before i know what these two do all right we will begin in the pack 12 and we will begin with lincoln riley now riley leaving oklahoma going to usc was a blockbuster coaching move remember he stared those reporters in the eyes and he said i am not going to lsu <laughs> sorry chip but that was funny <laughs> Toka, Tokoa in the chat is knowing Chip's college football picks illegal betting info. Now, if you were jumping on board during the stretch at the final three weeks of the regular season when I went two and twenty-five to close the year, <laughs> again that being two and seven, zero oh and nine, zero oh and nine across the final three weeks of the regular season, if you faded every single one of them, you were twenty-five and two. You had a great eight, year. <laughs> eight games above 500 after week six. Close the year two out of your final 27. Woo. Now, now hold on. Now Chip, Chip just bought a new house. <laughs> he maybe, <laughs> maybe he went 25 <laughs> and two and had, and had tremendous info. He had the nuts. <laughs> and had to give out the opposite sides on the show just to, just to throw people off his scent. I mean, like, <laughs> moving lines. All right, so Lincoln Riley said he was not going to LSU, and then it was announced he was going to USC. He goes 11-3 and three in his first season with the Trojans, has Caleb Williams with him, and has yet another Lincoln Riley Heisman Trophy winner as Williams takes home the stiff arm statue. They made it to the Pac-12 title game, but a hamstring and the inability to get a couple stops kept USC from winning the Pac-12 title as they fell to Utah. So Lincoln Riley, after year one, are we feeling better, worse, or the same? Same. Did exactly what we thought he was going to do, and I still think he's going to continue doing what he was. He had a Heisman-winning quarterback, a very good offense, a very good football team that went from winning only four games, which is far fewer than it ever should have been winning with the talent it had on that roster, got him to the Pac-12 championship, lost, lost the bowl game. But like that's what we think Lincoln Riley's going to do. He had USC competing for a playoff berth. He had USC competing for a Pac-12 title. That's what they hired him for, and that's what I expected would happen. So I feel the same. Agreed. Same. Legitimate top five, top ten level coach. Good recruiter. At the most important position, he finds guys and develops them, and that's quarterback. Caleb Williams is obviously a stud. Caleb's like, yeah, I want to keep playing for this guy. Like imagine how good Oklahoma is if they have Caleb Williams last year, right? Like that, that guy is like like a probably a two-win player above replacement. And he got him to come out there. Nice recruiting class, strong work again in the portal, did better job this year defensively on that side. I I, I feel like they feel really happy with Lincoln Riley hire. It's not better. Not better than than you than you felt. Yeah. Like how could I, it be? I I was gladly over my skis, but the defense was bad. And while Caleb Williams won the Heisman Trophy, the offense turtled up at times. That <laughs> offense, and look, first-year head coach, you've got all that transfer talent. To be fair is to acknowledge that when you go on the road early in the season, you might have some struggles. But things got a little dicey for the Trojans at times throughout that season. And, of course, the inability to beat Utah going 0-2 to the Utes for me to say better, they would have had to they, they would have had to almost make the college football playoff maybe with one less loss. Um, but I think that I am ultimately same 
where I probably am walking away from year one with a little bit more concern than I was going into last year. Where going into last year, I was like, Lincoln Riley, Caleb Williams, are you kidding? USC playoff? Like, this is it. This is all what we've all been waiting for. I thought it would be easier, and maybe that is naivete on my part, but I, I do not feel better. I feel the same. I mean, yeah. Not worse. I, I think that's fair. Uh, it'll be interesting if we do this exercise next year because I feel like there will be some pressure on this year to play somewhat better defensively and to make the college ball playoff, or, or, or we will look back and say, like, wow, Caleb Williams is as good as any quarterback we've seen in the last like decade or so, and they didn't make the playoff in, well, in, I, in what's considered to be kind of a weaker league, although I, I think the Pac-12 is pretty good. I have already said USC will be in the playoff this year, so keep that in mind next year. If we do do this again, if USC makes the playoff, and I say I feel the same, I'm not hating. I'm just telling you I already said that was going to happen a year ahead of time. So, boom, there we go. I see the Georgia fans in the chat uh, hating on uh, the take of Bear Alexander and making fun of him for a high-character kid. It, Georgia have a, a real real clean record of defensive tackles recently. Like, Do we think character matters for defensive tackle play? I, I, I don't think so. Georgia fans sit down on that one. I, that's, that's not, that ain't it. Yeah, the college football playoff is USC, Texas, Florida State, and Georgia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everybody's back playoff. Yeah. Um, all right, let's, let's turn around. Let's turn our attention to Big Ten Seattle. doesn't need the playoff. We fine. Yeah, we the Big Ten Championship money. is the greatest honor that could ever be yeah. bestowed on any college football coach or player. Exactly. Uh, let's turn our attention to Seattle, where Kalen DeBoer went eleven and two his first season. Now, Kalen DeBoer coming from Fresno State um, was his offensive coordinator year at Indiana was as good as Indiana's offense has been in the last couple of seasons. Um, at Fresno State, obviously he was uh, very good, you know, with there with uh, with Jake Hayner, and now he arrives. He gets Michael Penix to come in. The offense is explosive. Penix has a tremendous year. The defense still retains a little bit of that nastiness, even though you've got that offensive coordinator taking over for the defensive coordinator. Are we feeling better, worse, or the same about Kalen DeBoer, Bud? I think you got to feel better because you knew that he had done it at the lower level. Then you knew he had done it at the G5 level. And there is a, always kind of a question, would it translate? Uh, and yes, it, it translated really well. This is another guy that I think is going to be a very high floor coach because he runs the offense and like offense is something you can scheme more than you can, more than you can scheme defense. That's more within your control as a coach. And they're going to score points pretty much every year. I feel like they should be really good again this year. Getting that first big time year can help you a lot. In recruiting, we'll have to see if that continues to help him. But Kalen DeBoer kind of hit the like the absolute peak of what we thought he could potentially do based on his priors, and so I'm I'm certainly higher because he's shown he could do it at that level. Yeah, I'm with you, but I'm I'm better on this one because like I did not see eleven and two coming. I thought it was an interesting hire. I thought it was a smart hire, and I was interested to see if it would work. Like. There were concerns. You know, Chris Peterson clearly took that program to a level where it reached the college football playoff, and that was the highest that it had been in a long time. And then the Jimmy Lake hire happens, and that clearly goes poorly. And then DeBoer comes in, and it's like, all right, well, let's see what the actual ceiling of this program is. So for him to get to 11-2, and two, be competing for a Pac-12 title in his very first year, like, obviously, we have to see how he does in year two if he can maintain that. But still, based on where I was last year, it was like, all right, let's see. Now I'm at, oh, okay, no, this is going to work. So obviously better. We've got a lot of talent coming back, and it's not just yeah. Michael Phoenix. Like this yeah. Washington roster is loaded. Do you, I'm better, by the way, unquestionably better um, than I thought before. Do you believe in Washington having all the necessary ingredients to, to not just rule its own neighborhood, but compete at the highest level nationally? No. There, there's there's no real reason to think that they can play defense that, at that level. Well, their defense. They've produced. Here's the thing. Like Washington, if you look at that program over the last few years since the Peterson era and even into the late Sark era, they, they've produced really good defensive players. It's yeah, just the personnel it's one or two. But yeah. it's one or two. It's not a team of 11, which is what the national title teams have. They have 11 really good or, you know, nine or 10 really good defensive players. Washington just on the trenches, like for every Vitavea, there are like 20 pretty average guys. 
and defense correlates very like a little bit stronger with recruiting rankings. So you can scheme your way to points more than you can scheme your way to stops. Is what defense wins say. recruiting rankings and recruiting rankings win championships. So there Basically. you go. Defense wins championships. Yeah. I, I mean, like, recent national champions are having like 10 or 11 top 50 picks within the next two drafts. I don't mm-hmm. think that Washington is at that level up and down the lineup, but they could run good and win the Pac-12. I mean, they're – what are their yeah, roadies? I, I mean, Oregon when, when State, USC, USC, Stanford, Arizona. I think if you if if you look at Washington, like when USC and UCLA leave, Washington is in a very good spot to be one of the dominant programs in the Pac-12. Like I think that is something they can do with ease. Them and Oregon could rule that conference right. if they want to. But as far as competing for national titles, especially in a twelve-team playoff, when they're probably going to have to win three games to get that title, no. Because the Kalen DeBoer seems like the right coach. Yes, and. There is a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of passion in that area in a way that's almost surprising considering like the metro area of Seattle and Husky Stadium is awesome. And like that thing can be like a really loud, cool environment and has been when Washington has been at its peak. You know, there is a, there, there is a, like you mentioned, Tom, like Washington and Oregon up in the Pacific Northwest, you know, always competing for the Pac-12. Like, Kalen, I did not feel that confidence with Jimmy Lake. I do feel that confidence with Kalen DeBoer that that can be something that absolutely happens. I mean, honestly, probably could happen even if USC and UCLA were sticking around for a little bit. Probably yeah. not in the long run, but especially with their with them leaving, now the expectations have changed. Kalen DeBoer, the expectation is Pac-12 championships. Also, I forgot to mention Utah, so I don't want Utah fans mad at me. In the new Pac-12, Washington, Oregon, Utah. Sorry. Yeah. Well, there you go. Except <laughs> they, for had, they do win the conference pretty regularly, so we should probably include them in that. Oh, yeah. They're only the two-time reigning champions. <laughs> Is everybody done with their coach rankings? By the way, like quick off offhand programming note, next week – the cbsports.com is going to unveil its annual coach rankings. It is every power five coach. They are ranked one through 69. Um, we ter- update our ballots every single year and our ballots are due by the end of the day today. We're, oh, Tom, oops. Um, oh, they're going to do your range. No, I told you I was working on my swing. All right. Man, so, so where are three have- golf tournaments going to be epic. Uh, Tom plays? Kyle Whittingham. Bud, where'd you have Kyle Whittingham? Let me see. I got to pull up the spreadsheet that I sent to Adam. Um, I had him very high. Same. I was just shooting him up the list, and all of a sudden, I just realized that I had Kyle Whittingham in a tier with like national champions and the head coaches at some of the biggest programs in the sport. I mean, he's built a program, not a team. And, or, well, maintained a program, I guess, because Irvin did a pretty good job there before him. Um I had him top 10. Yeah, same. Yeah, he'll probably be in my top 10 too, but I have it, not started on mine yet. I still need to do my tweaks and shift stuff around, but he is uh, he's in the top tier. He is in my top 10 as well. And look, I, we're not going to give you the rest because that's what we're going to talk about next week. On Monday, we'll talk about some coaches entering the year under pressure. Then Wednesday, in coordination with the release of the full uh, 1 through 25 and 26 through 69 list at cbsports.com, we will share the cumulative results along with our own opinions, our own ballots. So uh, keep your eye out for that. Jake Dickert at Washington State. Now, remember, he took over for Nick Rolovich, but last year was his first full season. The Cougars went 7-6. and six. It wasn't a hire. It was a promotion. But are you feeling better, worse, or the same about the Jake Dickert hire at Washington State? I'm same. Yeah. Tom, go ahead, sir. I, it's just, it's... Went about as what I expected. Like Washington State went seven and six, got to a bowl game, kind of carried the momentum that he had that helped him keep the interim gig after having it the year before. But I mean, what are your realistic expectations for what Jake Dickert is going to be able to do at Washington State? It's like seven and six. I'm probably that's what I'm expecting. That's what he did. So same. That's not to say it can't improve or it won't get worse. But based on what I thought last year, nothing's changed. I think Mike Leach kind of colors the perception of this program in, in recent memory, right? Like my, Mike Price 
we, we remember doing some good things in, in the, the 90s and up until the very early 2000s. And he obviously went to two Rose Bowls. But and Mike Price also missed a bowl more than half the time. Right. So like that's probably the best coach we've ever had or him or Leach. So Leach consistently went to bowls, but but usually it was, you know, seven, eight wins. They go seven and six. That's a hard job. And I feel like last year more Pac-12 teams had their their act together than normal, right? Now, granted, like the bottom of the Pac-12 last year was horrendous, so that that is fair to point out. But like Oregon was good, USC was the best UFC that we've seen in USC, and we've seen in a long time. UCLA was legitimately a good football team. Washington had their stuff together for the first time since Chris Peterson. So uh, for them to go seven and six, and they played on the road at Wisconsin, I, I think he did a, a fine job. Um, there and so I'm I'm kind of same to maybe a little better, right? That's uh, like I'm I'm confident that they that they didn't botch the hire, right? That's, <sighs> that's a good thing to say. I oh, I'm I'm I wrote worse, but Ooh. I'm starting to feel a little bit bad about it. But the worst, and this is my note, it is you feel worse about your worst. <laughs> yeah, I do feel worse about worse. It is relatively worse. It is relatively worse because everybody else seems to be going in the upward direction and Washington State in, appears to be like just kind of humming along. And it is like if Stanford and Cal were to – like if Troy Taylor's hire ends up working out, if Cal ends up finding with Justin Wilcox some sort of you know a magic level up your program potion somewhere, like it is only the presence of some of those other programs that – potentially could keep Washington state from falling to the basement that when Oregon is running well, when Washington is running well, when Oregon state is in a very healthy place right now under Jonathan Smith, that so many of these other programs in the PAC 12 appear to be moving forward with a lot of real momentum such that if you're spinning your wheels or if you're just maintaining that you're at risk of falling behind, I am fascinated to see the way that it works out over the next couple of years. And I'm biased by the history of a lot of these you know, a lot of these interims now make him the head coach. Like for every Dabo, there's four cases of the guy being fired after three years. Bill Stewart. Mm-hmm. I just, I, th- I think that it, it would not surprise me unless there is a, a real spike again, if that thing ends up just sort of maintaining, spinning its wheels. And then if some of those other teams get their act together, they could find themselves in a position where they want to make a change. If everybody in the Pac-12 is operating at peak efficiency, so like everybody has made a good hire, everybody's boosters have, have their stuff together, Washington State is not a top-half job. No. Is it in the new Pac-12? So that means it's 10. The so problem is you're counting from the U- bottom. UCLA, Washington, Oregon, for sure. Utah, for UCLA sure. is gone. Four. UCLA is gone. Oh, excuse me. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So Utah, so Washington, Washington, Oregon, Oregon, Utah. Like Arizona State, I think, is a better job than Washington State. I bet yeah. you if yes. coaches would pick that over that. Arizona, potentially, they're kind of similar. Oregon State. Where do you have Washington State in relation to Colorado? Because I think that's the golden – we don't know how long Colorado is going to sustain what they're doing in terms of like allowing, like the last staff at Colorado wasn't allowed to take transfers. Now they're taking 70. Like, like mm-hmm. I, I don't know what Colorado, how long is this? Are they doing this for a reality TV show? Or do they actually care about football long-term? It's a hard one to judge. But if it clicks, like if like it, un, under yeah. the idea that Dion's uh, enhanced the personnel situation clicks, then Colorado jumps Washington state. And now all of a sudden you're start again, I, I think that Washington State could find itself thankful thankful that Stanford and Cal don't have their act together right now. Because otherwise you'd be like sitting in a, a very difficult spot. Agreed. It's a hard job. Not really sure how many great candidates they had for the job. I thought the guy did about as good as he could. Um, Interesting. I was just a hater. Yeah, I'm just a hater. I mean, this is... as a somebody- wazoo hater, Chip Patterson. <laughs> I'm just, it, it's all of that Washington Homer in me that keeps coming out as I just like get that Apple Cup hate out of my system here on the Cover Three podcast. That would be so awesome if you actually like hated Washington, like, just, like the most unrelated program to you. And that would be actually a good topic. Them. That'd be a good show, like the most random school that you hate. So the way mailbag question um, Pullman's Eastern Washington. Yes, it's close to yeah. Idaho then. Yeah. 
my uh, I've got some family. Yeah, I've got some family in Seattle, and they describe two Washingtons. Politically, I think there's some yes. area outside the triangle that's probably pretty close to Pullman. There's a it's a it's a, it's a fascinating spot. All right, let's uh, let's keep it going with the Pac-12, rounding it out with New World Order-ish. There's a there's a there's a real division of uh of, of a lot going on right there. All right, Dan Lanning goes ten and three in his first year. I mean, he had they had such a good season, I forgot they got pasted. <laughs> I mean, Oregon got absolutely blasted in the first game of the season. And I kind of forgot about it until I sat down to review this. And of course, you know, credit to the players on that team, the coaching staff, Bo Nix himself, because he ended up having a very, very good season by the end of the year. He will be back for next year. They've had some good recruiting success as well. Are we feeling better, worse, or the same about Dan Lanning? Better. Hmm. There's always an unknown when a guy has never been a head coach before. Uh, you need to be able to recruit a certain way to Oregon. That's a, it's a place that you can recruit well to, but it doesn't recruit itself, right? Like it, it's, there's not a lot of talent around there. Looks like he came in, surveyed the infrastructure, made a couple changes that, that he thought were necessary. I think he made good hires on both sides of the ball. They did a nice job with the transfer portal almost immediately. One of his hires, Kenny Dillingham, got hired away after just one year. I think he went out and got Will Stein from UTSA, who is one of the, the more prolific OCs in the G5. Um, I I think it's like the only real question here was, could he do it? I think he had shown the, the potential like based on how people talked about him. But until they do it, you don't know, right? Like, like how do you know you don't get a Will Muschamp? And I don't, I don't think Oregon got a Muschamp. So I'm, I'm definitely higher. Same. What? You? What? Uh, what? We got, we got 14 he's, he's sames. The, he's at the driving range all day. Rolls in here. He's, he's wearing a golf hoodie and a golf hat now. Like he's got a golf club in his hand below the desk. Tom's just, the, look. I, no, first of all, like I did these rankings before I went golfing yesterday. I did them over the weekend. Second of all, I'm not a reactionary goof like you guys. Okay. I stick to my guns. I felt the same. That's how I Oregon did well. I thought they were going to do well. I thought they were a program that was set up well by Mario Cristobal to win games in the Pac-12. Uh, is Tom? All right, I'll, I'll just I'll, I'll fill in for Tom. Same. Uh, he did exactly the same thing that I thought he would do the the, the entire time of his tenure. Went as I predicted, and uh, I thought it was a total ho hum hire when it happened, like. You lost Mario, and you made a hire that seemed just fine. And I think I'm better because now it seems inspired. Because the comment, look, a Kirby assist, <clears throat> a Kirby assistant is like a Saban assistant, right? You don't get to know them. Like you, th those dudes are on lockdown. And so I didn't get a good read on Dan Lanning, but Oregon's administration and decision makers clearly, clearly looked like talked to him heard his vision for the program or like all right we believe in you this is the guy i i thought that it was just a i thought it was a just fine hire at the time and now i think it is a um ooh can i get over my skis can i get a little bit too dramatic yeah let's do it it's a program saving hire by oregon ooh. Yeah, like they were in a high leverage spot they had the nail to hire it was a risky hire because you're going with somebody who has not been a head coach before. And for every Kirby Smart, I can point to you a lot of guys who were just coordinators who actually did not work out because it, it is hard to know how you're going to manage a staff. That's one thing you don't have to do when you're a coordinator. Um, did anybody make a higher jump in your coaching rankings from last year to this year than Dan Lenning? Ooh, probably because immediately all of the um – like no experience guys end up down at the bottom. Just yeah, as I, a, a matter of merit almost. Like Kenny Dillingham will be in the 60s. You know, not because I don't think it's a good hire for Arizona State, but because he has not been a head coach. Dan Lanning still has a, a little bit of, you know, he's, he's still got a crawl. You know, still, still, a, still a crowded list when you're talking about ranking every single Power 5 coach. 
But yeah, I, I would say that Dan Lanning probably ends up making a, I'll tell you what, Dan Lanning jumped ahead of Sam Pittman. Oh yeah. I, yes. Um, I, I agree. I, I think he was the, my, my highest jumper here. I'm looking like, uh, without giving it away, did you move him into the top half of college football coaches based on one year? No, close though. Yeah, I, I'm I'm fairly close to that. Like I, I, Tom says he's not reactionary. I don't think any of us are, are that reactionary. Like none of us are like, yeah, this guy definitely sucks, or like he's amazing, right? Um, Tom, did you move Dan Landing into your top half of college football coaches? Yeah, probably. I haven't done my ranking yet, but I say it's. If I may pick up where I was so graciously left off by my internet connection, um, he didn't win the Pac-12. He didn't do. He won ten games, took over a program that was fairly well positioned by Mario Cristobal, and did what he should have done with it. Bo Nix had a great season with him. His offensive coordinator also left after the year, so that's going to be interesting to see how that goes in year two after losing your offensive coordinator. I think Oregon's a good program. Oregon did what it's going to do. I haven't changed my opinion. I. I mean, I wouldn't say it got worse. It's probably if I move it a little bit, it gets better. But one fun fact of stat, it was completely unrelated. But it was something I did over the weekend when I wasn't working on my golf swing. Because I was going to make, I was good, I was working on a post to make fun of Iowa as far as throwing the ball short of sticks on third down. But I found out something interesting. Iowa was not the worst team as far as throwing short of the sticks on third down last year. Do you know who was by average? I do. Oregon. Oh wait. Oh, just on third down. Just on third down. They they on average, oh, okay. Oregon no, threw the ball. Oregon threw the ball two point nine yards short of the first down marker on third down. Now they did a great job of getting the first down anyway. But I just thought that was interesting, considering we would make fun of Mario Cristobal's offense being conservative, and they were actually more conservative on third downs as far as th- throwing deep shots without him. Okay, so this is like this is why I'm glad we're only doing two like two conferences today, not trying to pack in the mailbag questions. We can go on tangents like this. Oregon, when it got behind the chains last year was, was sneaky mid, right? Mm-hmm. Like they were not like in live betting situations. If you were watching this and just, if they did not have success on first down, like their drop back passing game, when, when they could not use play action, when the screen stuff wasn't there, they were not good. So like, I, I get why Bo Nix would come back. I think he's got more value to, uh, to college than he does the NFL based on last year. Like maybe he improves quite a bit. Maybe the receivers get better. Troy Franklin comes back. Um, but like that surprised me a little bit because they had a pretty damn good offensive line. And you would think like drop back, they'd be better. They weren't. Like there was a big gap between their like early down success rate and then if they got behind the chain success rate, they, they struggled. So I, I see that as a wide receiver issue, which, you know, we can reflect yeah. like who, who in that room was your certified burner and like contested ball catcher? Well, Troy Franklin was pretty damn good, but like the the, the second guys they had were not, you know, were not amazing. I think that's fair. It's like when you're throwing short of the sticks, it's because they can't get open and they gotta like hit and turn around. And so, um, in- interesting stuff for sure. All right, so same better better for Dan Lanning. Better for me for sure. Same. Better. Here we go. Coming up on the other side, we turn our attention to Billy Napier, Brian Kelly, the SEC, plus Jim Mora, Joe Moorhead, Joe Moorhead, Jim Mora, Joe Moorhead, uh, Clay Helton, Jerry Kill, and more next. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast, reviewing the 2021-2022 coaching hires with an update, whether we feel better, worse, or the same about the hire. Florida hired Billy Napier. He was the head coach at Louisiana. He went six and seven in his first year with the Gators. Are we feeling better, worse, or the same about the Napier hire? Same. No, no, I'm no, no. Wait, no. about the hire or about the coach? I'm kidding. I, I, would, feel worse. I would entertain it for, for the coach. Not no, for I, the feel worse. I feel I worse. I feel worse. Yeah. How could you yeah. not? You, you won six games, you had six draft picks, and including a, a, a top four pick at quarterback. I, I think some of the stuff that went wrong there was probably beyond Napier's control, and they did have a really difficult schedule. And their recruiting class is a nice recruiting class. I mean, they, they finished, what, top, top 12, I think, and, and did a nice job in the state of Florida. But also, some of the concerns I think you had coming out of Louisiana. So... They beat up on an incredibly bad Sunbelt West. No team in the Sunbelt West even made a bowl game in the two years that Napier ran that thing. So we said this before the hire. Like, look, that's not real impressive to win the Sunbelt West. LSU wouldn't touch the guy, so maybe they know something that Florida doesn't, and Florida's left holding the bag. He can know the Nick Saban plan of hiring a massive staff and a million polo shirts, but knowing that you got to hire him and knowing how to manage him is a different thing, and he has not demonstrated that skill set at Florida yet and certainly had no opportunity to demonstrate it at Louisiana because you're not going to have a big staff at Louisiana. I think the guy is genuinely an elite recruiter, uh, but also, is he actually a good play caller? I don't know, but like to me, that's kind of a ding on him to not get more out of what they had on offense last year with a really damn good offensive line and a first-round quarterback. They, their offense should have been better, and it wasn't, and yet they didn't make a change to go and get an offensive coordinator to allow him to focus more. And then something completely out of his control was the NIL thing, which I don't feel that much worse about Billy Napier as a coach. I kind of see him as about the same guy, like, like the same guy I thought he was. But about the hire, you have to feel a little bit worse because of what happened with, with the quarterback. I mean, that's that's not great. I also feel worse because what's happened with the quarterback since the top four pick left in that it really looks like you're going into the season with Graham Mertz. And I just, if I'm a Florida fan and I'm hoping to see improvement in year two, and I, I just, it's hard to really see that with Graham Mertz. Listen, Louisiana has nine bowl appearances. It's been a um, FBS team for about 25 years or so. Billy Napier was the head coach for four of those nine. Like, mm-hmm. They beat up on a bad Sunbelt West, but he also was turning in double-digit seasons and winning conference championships on the way out. Like the four division titles, yes, you're in a, a, a bad side. But winning and they got NFL players too, Chip. I mean, like they drafted guys with that team. Bama just took a safety. We need to give him it, credit for that. You're right. Got to give him credit for that. But I, I give him credit for that within the like context of the, the coach rankings. It, how do I feel now? Worse. Like I feel worse because of the way it went year one and the trajectory of how it's going to look. Because now when I game out the way that 2023 is going to go, I say, what's going to get better and why is it going to get better? And at a place like Florida, if you turn in back-to-back six, seven-win seasons, then things are going to get a little bit sticky. And when things get sticky, what is your easy button? What is your gonna? What is going to be your move to be able to deliver on the expectations of being able to keep up like you're the worst thing for Billy Napier is that he's the head coach at Florida when Georgia is peaking. Like it, it is impossible for him to be able uh, to be the head coach there and not feel the pressure from Georgia's success. So, um, you know, I, I don't know if I expected that he would hit the ground running year one and, and be competing with Georgia, but the evidence that we've mentioned here is certainly a little bit concerning and I think that Billy Napier, I read him, especially with the fact that he's been at multiple stops all along the way. He's been with a lot of different schools and coaching staffs. 
I think he's going to be a head coach for a long time. I think we're going to be talking about him. He's young. We're going to be talking about him at a lot of power five jobs. I mean, he probably wishes it's not a lot, but I'm, I am not as confident in the long-term trajectory of Billy Napier at Florida after year one. So therefore I'm worse. And you, you mentioned George. I, I want to say one more mean thing, please, sir. You mentioned Georgia and how it's impossible to deal with that at Florida. Another part of the problem for him that kind of goes into my assessment of feeling worse is Tennessee's good now. Tennessee hadn't been good for a very long time. So now you're taking over and you've got, you're kind of in a hole and now you've got to not just deal with Georgia. Now you've got to deal with a Tennessee program that seems to be on an upswing and it's just more competition for you in that division. And who knows what the SEC divisions, if they're going to exist in a couple more years, whatever is going to happen. But it's like that conference is not getting any easier to win it. Yeah, agreed. Um, I will say, I think the guy is a really good game manager. Like, I don't think his offense is anything special. I don't know why he insists on being the like the play caller there and, and, and like the running running his offense. I think it's a major challenge to coach an SEC program and especially like to do the he's trying to do the Saban model. And a lot of guys have tried and failed at that model. Like for every Kirby Smart, there's like there, there's there's a dually, there's a must champ, right? Um, but I think in terms of like game management. He, he managed his way to a closer game against FSU than it probably should have been. Same thing with Tennessee. Like, I think in-game, Billy Napier is a pretty good, like, strategist. I don't know that his offense is anything, like, that you'd want if, if he was, like, an OC on, on the open market. Uh, do you think – and I, I know we talked about this a little bit in the group chat. I don't know if we said it on the show. Do you think there's a bit of, like, a principal agent issue potentially for Florida here with Scott Strickland? Oh, you've mentioned that here. The idea that like Scott Strickland made the hire, but he also made the hire of Mullen. Then he had to fire Mullen. So if he has to fire Napier, it's then a poor reflection on Strickland. They've been been sorry in basketball since since he got there. Like they had the whole NIL mess, which you can't put on Strickland, but I guarantee you some people will. Yes. Uh, I think that Billy Napier is going to get time at Florida because I'm not confident that Scott Strickland keeps his job if they realize Napier's not the right guy. Like, do you let Scott Strickland make three fires and three hires? I, I don't so know. He, he fired McElwain right. and hired Mullen because mm-hmm. he had been at Mississippi State with Mullen. Mm-hmm. Mm. Interesting. All right. Turning our attention to that school in Louisiana that said, oh, yeah, Billy Napier, big up-and-comer, but that's not the game that we play. We're going to go hire Notre Dame's head coach who has multiple college football playoff appearances on his resume already. Brian Kelly takes over at LSU, goes 10-4. and He wins the SEC West. He beats Alabama. Tom, are you better, worse, or the same? What do you think? I, I don't, I'm so beaten down and defeated at this point. I'm I the just, same. Oh wow! Same. Oh wait, you're telling me you're telling me one of the best coaches in college football took a job where he could win national titles and won the division in his first year there. Wow, shocking! I mean, this is exactly why Brian Kelly went to LSU to win the SEC West, to possibly win the SEC, and to get to the college football playoff and win national titles. He's a great coach. He's been a great coach for a long time, and he did a great job in year one. I feel exactly the same as I did when he got hired. Totally agree. This is the same guy. They didn't improve their recruiting, really. Like, he's recruiting at a good level. That's what LSU does. LSU cares more about football than Notre Dame does. Brian Kelly found somebody who matched the amount of caring that he has. He's a very good coach. They've done a very nice job in the transfer portal, and he beat Nick Saban in year one. Like, part That's of this better. is better. Everything you just listed is better. Like, they're, they're, there's no way that you could say that, like, win the division title, beat Nick Saban. Like, that was not on the list of Ed Orgeron was winning the division title and beating Nick Saban. Chip, Brian Kelly's a much better coach than Ed Orgeron is. Jaden Daniels ain't Joe okay. Burrow. <laughs> they, they also got boat raced by Tennessee at home. Yes. They got. Like they lost by what two touchdowns to a terrible AM team. Okay. Mm-hmm. They got beat by FSU in the opener. They lost a fourth game. Who else did oh and, and Georgia smoked them? So like do you we have so much data on Brian Kelly? I'm much more apt to like like, okay, hire on a guy like Dan Lanning who had never been head coach before because like the first season is the only season we have to go on, right? Or, you know, like Venables lower or something, if you wanted to. I forgot what we said. Probably a little bit lower, maybe the same lower. But like 
with Brian Kelly, the only difference is that he has better players and he has a, he's at a place that cares more about football. Like there's no way that he's you, that guy. He's coached for 30 years. But you are not confident about his offensive coordinator hire. No, that's true. And I, like Jane Daniels as starting quarterback is not something that inspired a ton of confidence going into the year the way it ended at Arizona State. I think that Matt House as a defensive coordinator proved to be an incredibly um, strong hire. That defense was absolutely nasty. You mentioned the transfer portal. That's an evaluation and a recruiting thing to be able to find instant impact kind of players. This this was not a cash grab. This was not a retirement move. This was not, I'm going to take this job and be able to know that I'm going to be able to have a, a, a lake house that's going to be financed by LSU. Like this was, as you mentioned, Brian Kelly wanting to, in we assume the final era of his career, compete for national championships after bumping his head against the ceiling in the college football playoff. The fact that it all came together was against my expectations that it could. I feel better. All right. What did you have ranked last year in your coach rankings? What do you have this year? I th- I probably had him. Uh, so I've got him in the top 10, and I, I don't remember what five. I had last year. I had him top five, and he'll be top five again this year. I had him five last year. I have him five this year. Yeah. I mean, he's won. I think like, he's the he exact same games. guy. Yeah, he won 10 games. It's the sixth year in a row he won 10 games. He took Notre Dame into the ACC for the first time in history. The school was in a conference and went undefeated in the conference and got to the championship game. He lost in the conference championship game, but like he's a really good coach, Chip. He's, you give him good players, they're going to win a lot of games. It's exactly what I expected. Well, LSU fans are happy. Whether it's better or the same, your same is for sky-high expectations and maintaining being at the very top of the sport, the fact that it's working out. And, and by the way, also, because everything in the SEC exists within this bubble, this only drives home the frustrations for Florida fans. Not that Florida could have gotten Brian Kelly, but just the idea that you're part of this hiring cycle and you see that LSU, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll see what uh, the SEC does with the schedule, but you know they've got that kind of like rivalry, not a rivalry type thing going on. Mm-hmm. But LSU, um, LSU being able to hit the button and just go, it's got to be something frustrating for the Gators. LSU AD Scott Woodward was like, no, please don't take Billy Napier. Yeah, right. Oh, don't do it. Oh, no. How can we let him get out of the state? Oh, right. I mean, this is – they went and snagged Brian Kelly. Incredible. Um, all right, with uh, with the time that we've got left, want to spotlight a couple of group of five hires from the 2021-2022 coaching cycle. Uh, Tom – Better, worse, or the same, you get to introduce the coach. Uh, I will talk about Jim Mora at UConn. I feel much better about Jim Mora at UConn. Like when that hire was made, it was very easy to laugh at because it's like UConn, Jim Mora, you know, he did, he did, in hindsight, he did a good job at UCLA. He just never broke past a certain level. He'd been sitting in a TV studio and you're like, UConn's just hiring somebody with a name people recognize. This is going to be dumb. And then UConn, for UConn, had a very good season. And the team that was not very talented, Chip, they played hard. And they played, they seem to be a decent team getting better coaching than they had been in recent years. So while I don't think he's going to turn UConn into anything special, I feel much better about where it was as a program before Jim Morritt after his first season. And I think they could become a more respectable program under him. So better there. And then my other one was Joe Moorhead, who... Same to slightly worse. Like, I really liked the Moorhead hire, but that is a very tough place to win, and he had a very tough time winning games in his first season. So I expected a little more. I thought things would improve as the year went on. The fact that they really didn't improve that much is concerning, but I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt for year two. We'll see, I think. But it's slightly trending worse. If things don't improve in year two, I'm going to be probably going to be out on that one. Feeling better about Clay Helton at uh, at Georgia. Yeah, Southern. did not think that that was going to be something that was uh, that w- that was going to work out. So I was uh, I was very excited about that. And shocker, Mister Sunnyside over here. Uh, my second one is a better Jerry Kill at New Mexico State. Talk about playing hard. Aggies were playing hard under uh, mm-hmm. under, under Jerry Kill. So it's exciting to uh, to see those coaches who um, clearly had been in our world up at the at the power conference level and now they are resurfacing and still being able to find some success um bud who uh, who just had to hire on john sumrall no way shocker no way 
Yeah. Troy, Troy boy. boy over here. He's higher Troy on John boy, Summerall. Love Elliot. Loves John Summerall. <laughs> Look, listen. John Summerall did a phenomenal job. Yes, for sure. This year. And he is he is a buy stock now type uh, type coach. Yeah, I think uh, he'll be like a SEC coach at some point. Um, And Danny had Jeff Tedford at Fresno State. That's got to be better. I might be uh, yeah. I let me see. I had Jeff Tedford. Where are you? Oh, I had better. Better. I mean, I knew uh, he was going to do. He, he was very familiar with the terrains. Yeah. You knew it was going to be a certain level, but you were just wondering, you know, like maybe, you know, like would there be a drop off? There wasn't. So I do feel slightly better. Yeah. Um, I feel better about uh, all of you that came and joined us here, and I really hope that you join us tomorrow because we are finally going to unveil the college football dictator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you have heard people talk about, we need a college football commissioner. We need a college football czar. Well, the college football dictator is ruthless, okay? The college football dictator will take away everything from your favorite team or reward you with everything. So we have important tasks for the college football dictator. We will each have a term as the college football's dictator. We'll let you know more about that on Thursday. So come and hang out. And you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him at BloodElliot3. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Tom, thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs>